get right in. Job 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Okay, so, so Job, we're setting the, the stage right for this book, and it starts off with this guy, Job. And Job is uh, a very wealthy man, right? Uh, he doesn't have a lot in terms of gold and silver that we can see, uh, but back in this time, if you had a lot of you know, sheep, donkey, cattle, all that kind of stuff. That made you a pretty wealthy guy uh, because you needed to eat. And on top of that, everybody else needed to eat. So you had something that everybody wanted. And so, uh, you know, you, we might look and say like, wow, 7,000 sheep, real, real big deal, right? Well, back then it was a big deal. Um, so Job is, is super wealthy. Uh, on top of that, he has a very large family. So it says he has 10 kids in total and, and he had seven sons, which is a big deal. So back then, uh, having children in general was a big deal but particularly having sons because he had somebody who could carry on the family name. And a lot of people died, so the more sons you had, the better chance you had of continuing on the family name, right? So it was a big deal. And then on top of that, uh, Job was a very godly man, and his, and his family is godly. So um, it says that Job feared God. He turned away from evil. Um, and he, it says that he even sacrificed on behalf of his children. Even if they didn't sin openly, he was concerned that maybe they sinned in a way that you can't see. So, so even his kids, right, they're living their outwardly lives at least godly, if nothing else, right? And so uh, Job basically acts as the high priest for his family, uh, similar to Melchizedek in Genesis. So, um, so Job's a great guy. He's got everything going for him. And then, of course, we're going to see the plots going to thicken here. So in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So this term, the, the sons of God, is also used in the book of Genesis. Um, and it's referring to uh, basically uh, spiritual, spiritual beings, right? Uh, the, the term um, sons of God is translated B'nai'ach Elohim or B'nai Elohim, and it can refer to a direct creation of God. And so, um, so it's not, these aren't like people that are meeting for God. These are angels, uh, Satan himself being uh, was described as a cherub in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, and they're basically coming to basically give a report on what they've been up to. The, in verse 7, the Lord said to Satan... From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. This is very much reminiscent of what Peter tells us uh, in the book of 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So uh, he's seeking someone to devour and God's going to actually recommend someone for him. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, and a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So, uh, <laughs> I don't know if anybody wants to have a bullseye painted on them by God for Satan, right? But that's kind of what God's doing here. But it's not just that, right? He's bragging about Job, right, to Satan and saying, look at this guy. Like, this, this guy, like, follows me, loves me. Job is the man, right? That's kind of what, what God is saying here. And frankly, Man, if, to think about God bragging about me is probably more than my little heart can take, right? So, uh, you know, even if it was painting a bullseye on me, it's still pretty awesome. 
Uh, verse 8. I'm sorry, we read that. Verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him on his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So basically, Satan is accusing Job, and he's saying, Listen, Job doesn't love you. He just loves all the stuff that you give him. That's why he's following after you. But I'll tell you what, you take away all the stuff you've given him, and he won't follow you anymore. He won't love you. He'll, he'll hate you. And God's like, all right, let's put it to the test. And wow, what a test, uh, as we're going to see here. So in verse 13, verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep, the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job just probably woke up that morning thinking, wow, another day, and literally four people back to back come and tell him that he's lost everything, everything he owns, his family, uh, and, it, and it says, like, basically, as one, before one person could even finish speaking, the next person would come and be like, here, bad news. So in like a minute, he's basically just told, your whole life, just gone, right? Um, and his reaction to this news is, is, is what really is, uh, is humbling, right, and, and powerful. Then Job rose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So Job basically uh, comes to the acknowledgement that, hey, I came into this world with nothing and I'm going out the same way. Uh, everything I have ultimately doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God anyway, and he can do whatever he wants with his stuff, um, and, he, and he worships God, which is incredible because worship is not necessarily the first thing that comes to our mind when we go through hard times, right? A lot of times people get angry at God or they get upset or whatever. And, and Job's grieving here. It's not like he's not sad, right? Uh, so the, the imagery of tearing your clothes, that was something they did back in the day, shaving your head. Um, obviously, you wouldn't normally tear your clothes or, sh or shave your head, the, the, the purpose of it was when you tore your clothes, it's not like you could just, if you, if you were to rip your shirt apart, which none of you should do at the moment, uh, if you were to do that, you'd say, okay, well, I'll tear it and I'll go to the gap, right, and get another one. Well, not back in those days. Back in those days, making clothes was kind of a big deal. It was hard to do. They would just mend it, right? And so the idea is uh, they would stitch it up, but you'd always see that seam, right? It'd be like a scar almost on them. And uh, shaving your head, uh, they, especially men, it was not considered right to, or, or um, it was kind of shameful to, to shave your head, right, or... So they would let their hair grow long, let their beards grow long. So if you saw somebody, uh, especially a guy who had no hair, you would say, wow, that person has gone through something pretty difficult. And as their hair grew back, it kind of showed kind of where they were in the grieving process, right? So um, it's not, again, this isn't arbitrary stuff. He's grieving, um, and that's, that's kind of the, the reason for those things. But as it says, he worships God, uh, and he did not sin or charge God with wrong. And chapter 2 picks up. 
Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So a little bit of a deja vu, right? It's pretty much the same exact scenario. But he continues, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Uh, so God is bragging again about Job, but he's, he's kind of laying it on a little thicker this time. Like, remember that time you came here and you were like, oh, you know, he's going to curse at your face, and then he didn't curse me in my face? You remember that, Satan? Like, oh, yeah, I remember that too. He didn't do that. Oh, yeah. So he's, again, he's, he's bragging about Job, which is an incredible thing. But we continue. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand. And touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan this time is kind of up in the ante. He's saying, Listen, of course, he took away his stuff, but if you touch him himself, uh, that's when he's going to curse you, because he still loves himself more than he loves you or cares about you. So you touch him, and he'll curse you. And God's like, All right, let's see. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. So uh, your translation for loathes and sores may say boils. Basically, he got sores all over his body, and they're extremely painful. And they were literally all over his body. So the, the point of saying that is that it, there was no comfort or respite for Job. No matter what position, what position he was in, whether he was standing, laying down, sitting, he was going to be on a sore and it was going to hurt like crazy, right? So, uh, so he is in affliction at this point. Then his wife, verse 9, said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, if you were wondering at this point why God or why Satan uh, did not take his wife when he took the rest of his family, I mean, this is pretty much why, right? He's like, oh, curse God and die. Thanks, honey. Appreciate that, right? It's like, yeah, uh, probably more of a detriment than a help at this point. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So uh, even his wife is telling him, like, listen, you've got nothing going for you. You need to just turn away from God and, and end it, right? And he's basically saying, look, like, if we, are only pra- if we only praise God in the times where things are going good, uh, guess what? That doesn't mean we love God. That means we love ourselves, Right? And that's why if, uh, you know, people are looking to get married, people sometimes say, well, I want to find someone that's going to, I want to make sure it's going to make me happy for my whole life. I don't know if this person's going to make me happy my whole life. Well, if that's the question you're asking, you're asking the wrong question because what you, what you should really be asking is, do I want to make this per- person happy my, the rest of my life? That's the real question because as soon as somebody stops making you happy, uh, you're going you're gonna to give up and that doesn't mean you love them. It means you love yourself. That's bo- what it boils down to, right? And we all have that to an extent, but that's basically the conclusion that Job is coming to, is like, hey, listen, you know, if we only love God in the times where things are good, then that doesn't mean we love God, it's just we love ourselves, and, um, and so, so Job clings to uh, what he knows to be true, and I doubt that Job necessarily felt like saying that, right? Uh, he just lost his whole family, he's in pain, probably wasn't feeling like, oh, you know, I really want to worship the Lord right now, but that's, that's kind of the the point. Um, there's a, a quote I love by Ravi Zacharias. He says, I will always lean toward the fact that right thinking has to precede right feeling, or else if the re- felt reality comes first, then the thinking 
has to be in keeping with what is being felt. Basically, what he's saying is there's, look, like, there's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge, right? And sometimes those things are at odds with each other. And uh, our feelings are often swayed very easily. And what we need to do is in those times where we find that um, what we know to be true and what we feel to be true, when those two things are different, we need to rest on what we know to be true, right? Um, and that's what more or less Job is doing here because Job understands that whatever circumstance he's going through doesn't change who God is, right? That God is powerful and that he is uh, good and, and, and all of those things. And so he, he rests on what he knows to be true in his head um, and, and like all of us do sometimes, um, we, you know, wait for the, the heart to come in, the, in, in line with that. There are basically, like, so thinking about all of this, because, um, you know, there, when we go through difficult times, that's when our hearts usually tell us, well, is this right? Is this just? What is God doing here? Like, why would God allow me to go through, this, through these things? Uh, and I hear a lot of, like, atheists debate this point a lot about the morality of God and, oh, you know, how can God be good when there's suffering in the world? Or how can God, you know what I mean? You hear those things. And questioning the morality of God is, is a bit of a foolish endeavor, in my opinion, for uh, about, about four reasons. So the first, uh, okay, if God exists, and he does, he created this world, right? He created the entire universe. So it all belongs to him. And since it belongs to him, he can do whatever he wants with it. So to liken it, if you were to come over to my house and I said, hey, would you mind taking your shoes off before you come in? I don't want to get mud on my carpet. You'd probably be like, yeah, sure, no problem, take them off. Now, but if you were to invite me over to your house and I asked you, like, hey, can you take your shoes off because I don't want you getting mud on the carpet, you'd be like, Ben, this is my house, my carpet. I can do whatever I want, right? If I want to get mud on my carpet, I'm going to do that. And I like wearing my shoes, so that's it, right? That'd be all there is to it, because why? It belongs to you. You get to do whatever you want with it. And uh, that's the same with God in, in, in that sense, right? It's God's. The universe is God's. Nobody tells him what to do with it. Nobody has the right to tell him what, what to do with it, because it belongs to him, right? So that's point number one. Two, uh, God is way smarter than you. When you think about it, uh, if you guys have ever studied, like, physics, chemistry, calculus, any of that stuff, you find out it's pretty advanced, and, uh, and it's even more advanced than most people in this room have probably experienced. I know me, I've, I only went to a certain point. Uh, but even to this day, scientists are like pulling apart a world and trying to figure it out, and they still have no idea like how your brain works or, you know, what, you know, the laws of physics and things like that are still trying to work out. There's so much that they don't understand, can't understand, and God wrote all of that, right? He's the one who designed it all. Uh, so taking that into account, he knows how it all works, and he's way smarter than you, right? Like, we couldn't even think of coming up with some of these things, and, and there you go. God has done it. Even more than that, uh, God is more knowledgeable than you, right? So God exists outside of time and space entirely, and so he sees uh, the beginning from the end, whereas we only see, like, one step at a time, right? God sees it all. He, kn he knows everything that's going to happen, and uh, thereby, since he's smarter than you and he knows way more than you, uh, it seems likely that if you think that you know better than God how things should go in this world, you're kind of out of luck, right? God knows what he's doing, um, even though we do not. And then fourthly, God created the universe. He made stars, okay? Like, he's not real worried about you, right? You're not going to put up much of a fight against him. You can fight God if you want to, but you're not going to win. He's, he's too powerful, right? So, um, so all of those things make kind of like resisting God's sense of morality, what's right and wrong, like uh, kind of a foolish endeavor, right? But even more than that, um, not only is it wrong, like God doesn't do things arbitrarily, right? That's a, that's a theological point that I hold very dear to my heart. God doesn't do anything just for no good reason. 
Like he has a purpose for this. And Job doesn't see it here, but there's going to be a book written about him that we're studying to this day and that we benefit from, right? And countless generations of people have benefited from this book. Um, did Job know that? No. But that was ultimately what the, the purpose of the suffering was going to be, was so that it could bless other people. And uh, there are rewards that, are, are for, that come from that, right? God is a rewarder of those um, who, who diligently seek him, it says in the Bible. Um, and Job, is, I'm sure, ha has rewards that we probably don't even understand. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 2.9, Paul writes about the rewards that God gives. He says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Basically, what Paul is saying is, like, you want to know what kind of gifts God gives? Well, I'll tell you. You've never seen anything like it. You've never heard of anything like it. You've never even thought of anything as good as the gifts that God gives, right? And do we see them now while we're going through our circumstances? No. But that's where faith comes in, right? That's where we have to um, just rest on, on the knowledge that God uh, is looking out for us and that he ultimately is not making us suffer um, just because he likes to watch us suffer. Quite the contrary. There's a point to it, right? Um, and ultimately, it's, it's to eternal rewards. So, okay, we can take comfort in a few things. No, so that's kind of like the truth of the matter, right? Uh, but sometimes knowing the truth when you're going through difficult circumstances doesn't really make you feel that much better. So how do we take comfort in, in, in this? Well, for one, we know that we can take comfort in the fact that Satan uh, is on a leash, right? He can't do anything more than God will allow him to. Despite how powerful Satan is, despite how... Uh, smart he is, he is limited. God limits him to what he can and can't do. There's no struggle between God. This isn't like a bet between God and Satan. God already knows what's going to happen, okay? And he's not like, well, let's see what happens. Let's, I wonder what Job's going to do. Like, no, 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 no. Satan doesn't know what he's going to do, uh, but God does, and, and God's in control of this whole situation, right? So, um, so that's, that's, that's point number one, is, is knowing that Satan uh, is limited in terms of what he can do. Secondly, we also know that God's not going to give us more than we can handle in this, in this life, right? So in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul writes, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In Psalm 103, David writes, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Isaiah 42, 3, Isaiah writes, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. That's what you've got to know. God sees you. He sees your circumstances. He knows you. Uh, he knows what you're capable of, and he knows what you're not capable of. And he knows all of these things even better than you do, okay? God is not going to put you in a situation that you're not equipped for or prepared for, Right? That's kind of the, the point of what he's saying here in all these passages. Listen, God may ask you to go through something, but it's not more than you can handle, right? And sometimes we have to lean on God to get through those experiences, but we can get through them, right? Um, furthermore, knowing all that, we also know that we can also take comfort in the fact that we know that God is not just some drill sergeant, right, who expects us to do our duty or something like that. Uh, he's a, he's a, a loving father who, who loves us immensely, and he allows us to go through difficulties and afflictions, but he loves us through, the, through those moments, right? And, 
And knowing that he loves us, we know that he's not going to put us through those things unless there's a reason for it, right? I was talking to a guy after the previous service, and um, I remember one time I, was ta- I had a Bible teacher in, in high school, and uh, he, was, he had a uh, baby boy, I think he was like one years old, and he was telling me about this experience where he took him to the doctor's office, and his son couldn't talk yet, he was still too young, but he had to get a needle, I think it was a vaccine or something like that, and he said that, you know, as soon as the doctor put that needle in his arm, his son just gave him this look like, why would you do this to me, right? Like, why? This is so painful. Like, what? But there's a reason for it, right? It ultimately, it's to keep his son healthy, and um, ultimately, that's how, how God looks at us, right? It's, he doesn't enjoy our suffering, uh, but he allows it because why? It, it brings us to a greater knowledge of him, for one, and it, and it continually grows us, right? Um, so Job, one of the really interesting things about Job, Job, if you, if you take a look at his life, just, if you take a look at his life, just what we've seen so far in these first two chapters, we know that Job was a servant of God who suffered not for any wrongdoing he committed, but for the benefit of of others. And the question is, who else does that sound like? And the answer is, it sounds like Jesus. And Job is basically a type of Christ. He's a model. And um, in that way, like, when we go through suffering, we've got to know that Jesus came to this world and he suffered. More than we can even understand, right? Beyond our comprehension. And God suffers too as he watches his children suffer, right? As I, if you were here in my last sermon, I, I talked about that, how uh, it's, it's sometimes easier to watch, but sometimes easier to go through suffering yourself than to watch someone you love go through immense suffering, right? And so, so God suffers, but so the, sometimes the reason for the suffering is that it, it gives us an opportunity to, to demonstrate Christ in our lives, right? So oftentimes we ask God and say, God, make me into the image of Christ, mold me into the image of Christ. And um, uh, uh, so there's a movie, I, I wasn't a big fan of it, but I'm sorry if you guys liked it. Uh, it's called Evan Almighty, and it uh, came out a number of years ago. And uh, I didn't really enjoy the movie, but there was one part that I really thought was, was really good. Uh, so there's a part of Morgan Freeman who's portraying God, and he's talking to this woman, and she's basically like, you know, I keep asking for courage from God, and I keep asking for courage, and I don't seem to get it. And basically, Morgan Freeman looks at her and says, you know, does God just give you courage, or does he give you opportunities to be courageous? And I thought that was actually really on point. Uh, and that's the same way with, with us, right? God allows us to go through suffering. Why? Because it, it makes us more like Christ. It gives us an understanding of what he's going, going through, and it gives us an, a way to demonstrate Christ in our lives. And sometimes I think, you know, we think, well, if God were to show up in glory and power, right, if you give me like a vision from heaven, and he said, you know, I want you to go through this very difficult thing, and there's going to be rewards in the end, but if you do it well, so get to it. Like, how many of us would be like, no, I don't think so. Like, we, probably, we saw God in all of his glory, be like, yeah, sure, all right, yeah, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it, right? Um, but what if God doesn't ask you? What if he just puts you in those situations? Because um, that's how it usually goes. I can tell you, I don't know if any of you have received any visions from God. I, I have not, and, uh, but I have gone through some difficult things, and... That tends to be how it goes for all of us, right? God doesn't necessarily, um, he doesn't necessarily just ask us point blank. Sometimes he just puts us in the situation to see how we'll do. Uh, I thought I had written this down, but it looks like I didn't take notes on this. Um, there's a verse in Hebrews where basically it says it's impossible to please God without faith, right? 
And that's, that's part of the issue is how much faith do we have? Do we believe that God um, still loves us despite what we go through? Do we believe that God has our best interests at, at heart? Um, do we have that faith? Because I think God gets a big kick out of it when we, when we trust Him um, despite our circumstances. Um, it's by faith that we please God. So, Lastly, um, uh, there's a... Well, so we're supposed to make this like a personal sort of sermon, and so um, I'll talk about some, just some of my experience. So when I was in uh, high school, uh, there was a girl at my church who, uh, she had leukemia, and she had to get a bone marrow transplant, and so she was um, isolated for about over a year, and she was always in and out of hospital, so um, she, eventually she got better, and she came to youth group, and she didn't really know anybody, and uh, my mom helped out at our youth group at the time, and she also had the spiritual gift of finding people who didn't have friends and then guilt-tripping me into becoming their friends. So, uh, so she was like, come on, go, go, go be friends. I'm like, all right. But uh, it turned out that we ended up becoming actually really good friends, and we, all, we started hanging out in the same circle, and um, got to know each other pretty well. And um, over the years, we'd, you know, we'd hang out, and uh, yeah, we just, became, we just became really good friends. And eventually uh, found out that she uh, developed, she beat leukemia, but then she developed lung cancer, and uh, she ended up passing away. Uh, at the very end of my, my first year at college. And that was, uh, at the time, probably one of the roughest things I'd, I'd gone through just because, you know, we were, we were really close friends. She's around my age. And, uh, and you, when, when that kind of happened, we're, when we're confronted with death in a real way, you really start to, like, evaluate your life in a, in a different sort of manner, right? And the best way I can liken it, it's like um, if you've ever gone up a, a roller coaster uh, on the hill and you going up and up and up, and you have some time to, like, think and look around, and, and you're way up high, and you realize, you know what? If this thing were to just, like, cave in or something, like, I'd be dead. I'd be totally toast, right? You have that moment of, like, panic, and uh, I kind of had one of those moments. I thought, I thought obviously, you don't actually think the roller coaster is going to cave in, but you come to that realizing, like, hey, I put my total faith in this thing. If it goes, I'm gone, right? And I had that moment uh, when it came to my faith. And, and God and really evaluating and saying like, okay, do I really, I put all my eggs in this basket here. Do I really believe it? Uh, is God really good? And um, ultimately, I, I came to a lot of the same conclusions that, that Job did where, um, you know, my circumstances don't dictate who God is, right? And how good he is and how powerful he is. He's still God. And I also knew that, you know, Jesus was who he said he was and he rose from the dead and so I, I ultimately, I believe that. It, it really came down to like a head knowledge, even though my heart, you know, was hurting and, and even angry to some extent. And with that knowledge, um, I came to a place where, you know what, like Job, I, I just came before God and just worshipped him. And I, and because it was like, there's a quote by G.K. Chesterton that I love. It says, when belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away from him. But in heaven's name to what? And that's what I, the, more or less the point I came to. I was like, where, where am I going to turn? Do I believe, is there a hope greater than Christ? And I said, no. And so I, I, it was in those moments that I would be either in my room by myself or gathered together with other believers worshiping. And um, it was in those moments that I received from God just the greatest um, comfort and, and rest from, from what I was going through um, in a real way. Like feeling, I don't know if you guys have ever felt like the love of God just like wash over you, but it was in those moments that, um, I really felt it, and it's, I don't know, for me, it's, for me, it's undeniable. And uh, sometimes the, the poet says it best. 
There's a Christian artist by the name of Rich Mullins. He's probably my favorite. He wrote a song. It goes like this. There's, I'm not going to sing it for your, for your benefit. Uh, I'm just going to read it. There's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own, and he keeps this fire burning to melt this heart of stone. Keeps me aching with a yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. Now I've seen no band of angels, but I've heard the soldiers' songs. Love hangs over them like a banner. Love within them leads them on to the battle on the journey, and it's never going to stop, ever widening their mercies and the fury of his love. This is the one. Joy and sorrow are this ocean, and in their every ebb and flow, now the Lord a door has opened that all hell could never close. Here I'm tested and made worthy, tossed about but lifted up in the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. The question is, do you know that love today? That's, that's the real question. And um, if you don't, man, what are you wasting your time for? Get to know God. He loves you. Um, and we go through, we all go through hard times. And if you are not or have not, don't worry, you'll get there. It'll happen. It happens to everybody. Um, the question is, what do we do in those, in those circumstances? Do we turn away from God in those circumstances or do we turn to God? And the answer is, you know, as we see in Job's life, we need, we need to turn to God because um, not only is that where the truth lies, uh, it's also where we find our greatest comfort and rest um, in our circumstances. Amen?